thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's the Cincinnati Reds 3, your Cleveland Indians 2. The Cincinnati Reds take the first game of the Ohio Cup Series. Sonny Gray gets the win. Plesak gets the loss. And Iglesias gets the save. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan. And I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And in the midst of this four-game losing streak for the Cleveland Indians, even I'll admit, it's not very enjoyable right now. So let's take a look at the game. Let's take a look at the box score, the highlights. Let's see how this thing went down. And the Indians actually got on the board first. Francisco Lindor in the first inning puts us ahead with a home run to start the game. And it had been a while since the Indians had scored first, so it felt good. It felt like good things could happen today. And against Sonny Gray, too, who is definitely the ace right now of the Cincinnati pitching staff. So he crushes a fastball. Again, we talked about this before. Lindor loves his fastballs. So he crushes a fastball for a home run. Santana singled then, so we thought more would be coming, but then Fermil Reyes strikes out, and he struck out bad. He really, I think it was an 0-2 count, and then he waved at a breaking ball down and away. And that is going to be a pattern because Fermil Reyes struck out three times this game. The Indians then score again in the top of the second. In the top of the second. Now, this one was fun. Daniel Johnson uh, flew out to start the inning deep, deep to center field. Oscar Mercado then comes up and singles on a nice line drive to center field. A perfect Oscar Mercado swing, taking it right back up the middle. It's definitely what we need to see more of from him. Then Sonny Gray with a pickoff attempt goes bad. The ball gets away, and he advances to second base. Then, on a wild pitch from Sonny Gray, Oscar Mercado advances to third. Sandy Leone walks. We got runners on the corner now. Greg Allen strikes out swinging with runners on the corner. There's so many ways to bring in that runner from third. Strikes out swinging. And then, with Cesar Hernandez up to bat, another wild pitch from Sonny Gray, and Oscar Mercado can walk across the plate to score. So, he singles and then advances to second, third, and scores all on errors. Interestingly enough, uh, it did not go as an earned run because of the errors, even though all three, well, technically wild pitches aren't errors, but even though all three errors were Sonny Gray's fault, it still doesn't count as an earned run because the runner advanced on errors. So that's interesting in baseball scoring. And then in the fourth inning, things Turn a little sour for the Indians. Nick Castellanos uh, facing Zach Plesak. Plesak threw a pitch that was really high and tight. I mean, buzzed his shoulder. And Castellanos was not too happy about it. And the next pitch was a fastball that sat dead middle of the plate. And Castellanos did some serious damage with it. I believe it's his fifth home run on the season. And he is locked in right now. He's hitting 382 with a 1.373 OPS. I believe he was available as a free agent this offseason. And it's I believe it's a name that was tossed around for the Cleveland Indians. So, man. You know, opportunity is there in the offseason sometimes to go get these uh, free agent outfielders. And... 
the Indians don't make their moves and other teams do. And we see how that works out. In the sense of Castellanos, I think it's working out for Cincinnati. He seems to be the kind of the heart of their lineup right now. Then in the sixth inning, it's Joey Votto's turn. This time, uh, Plesak said in the postgame that he was distracted by Akiyama on first base. You know, Plesak has that amazing pickoff move. He thought he could get him. He thought he could get an out. He kept trying to pick him off. Took his concentration off the batter. Didn't throw one right down the middle to Votto, but definitely threw a fastball middle in. And Votto had quick enough hands. It really is a good example how quick hands can do so much for a hitter. Turned on it and drove it out to right field for a home run. And that was all the Cincinnati Reds needed. Two home runs. Takes the win for the Cincinnati Reds, 3-2. to two. In fact, the Indians had five hits. The Reds only had four. So it's not like the Reds' offense was doing any better. This was really a pitching duel. For the Indians, even though Plesak got the loss, he went seven innings, four hits, three earned runs, a walk, and six strikeouts. And then uh, Oliver Perez pitched the last inning for the Indians. And then Sonny Gray, who gets the win, went six innings, four hits, two earned Two runs, one earned, two walks, eight strikeouts. And then Lorenzen, Jones, and Iglesias all pitch clean innings with two strikeouts each to end the game. They struck out 14 Indians batters on the day, which is not good. Lindor struck out twice. Famille Reyes struck out three times. Daniel Johnson in the obligatory please make something happen in the sixth hole spot struck out three times and uh, Greg Allen batting last struck out twice and man these guys Greg Allen hasn't had a hit Mercado's hitting 107 he did have a nice single Sandy Leone did nothing from the catcher spot he's hitting 133 Daniel Johnson is hitting 0.83 Famille Reyes is hitting 171 so yeah it's it's a struggle uh, Santana is only hitting 200, but he did have a hit and a walk. So, you know, Santana walks and gets on bakes. That's why he's batting 200, but his OPS is 649. It's the walks. It's the getting on base. What is happening with our five through nine hitters? I mean, we're just getting nothing, absolutely nothing to hang our hat on down there. The, you know, Sometimes when your superstars are struggling, it could be the bottom of the lineup that picks the team up and gets the team going again. And we are just getting nothing from the bottom of our lineup. Is it the approach these guys are taking? Is it the fact that guys like Greg Allen is just a a 4A player, as they say, right? He can be successful in AAA, but when he comes up to the majors, he struggles against major league pitching. There's plenty of guys that have flamed out as 4A players, right, that just can't seem to figure out Major League pitching. I mean, that's really all the box score has to tell us from this game. Uh, If you watch the game, you know the Indians had a few other chances to score in the top of the sixth inning. Lindor, after he singled, tried stealing second base and was gunned out by Tucker Barnhart. It was just a great pop-up and throw from Tucker Barnhart. And then in the eighth inning... Greg Allen is hit by a pitch to lead off the inning. Cesar Hernandez singles, so Greg Allen gets the second. Jose Ramirez strikes out swinging. And then there's another kind of wild pitch. It bounces up, bounces off the dirt, bounces off of Tucker Barnhart's face mask, and scoots out in front of him. The runners try to advance. 
Cesar Hernandez got a very, very late jump on this one and gets thrown out, sliding into second base. Tucker Barnhart throws out his second runner on the day. And it looked like if he would have gotten his front foot down, he might have been safe. But his front foot actually went wide of the bag, and his back foot is the one that made contact with the bag. But the tag was already down on him. So, yeah, the Indians did not have success being aggressive on the base path, aside from Oscar Mercado's uh, miraculous trot around the bases on three errors. So, And then Francisco Lindor strikes out swinging, even with Greg Allen on third base. And that ends that threat for the Indians. And they go quietly in the ninth inning. So there were some threats, there were some chances, but we ran ourselves out of innings, I guess, today, which is something new. I mean, we we want these guys to be aggressive when they get on base, so I can't blame them for that. But, man, Tucker Barnhart seems like the real deal back here. And uh, just like I'd be careful running on Roberto Perez, I might hesitate a little bit running on Tucker Barnhart. So what is going on with these young guys that have come up that are trying to hit for the Cleveland Indians? Fermil Reyes is struggling. Daniel Johnson is struggling. Greg Allen is struggling. Jordan Luplo is struggling. So what is going on here? So let's take a look at the hitting coach, Ty Van Berkelio. And Ty Van Berkelio has an interesting path to get to the Cleveland Indians. He actually had a lot of success playing in Japan. He uh, won a couple of series, uh, I think some championships in Japan. Over here in the States, though, he did not have a very long professional career. He played briefly for the Angels and played briefly for the Rockies. His major league career, he batted 132 with five hits and one home run. So not much of a major league career to hang his hat on. A little bit better statistics over there in Japan. However, he eventually catches on in coaching. He coaches in the minor league system for the Angels. He becomes the hitting coach for the Oakland Athletics for 2007 and 2008. He becomes the bench coach for the Seattle Mirrors in 2009-2010. He's the interim hitting coach for the Houston Astros in 2012. And then from 2013 to today, yeah, it's been that long, he's the hitting coach for the Cleveland Indians. So let's take a look at those Oakland Athletic teams and see how they did. And for 2007, looking at batting averages for 2007, the Oakland Athletics as a team hit 256. They're towards the bottom of the league, at the bottom one, two, three, four, five, sixth, bottom sixth in the league in batting average. The OPS is a little shows a little bit better, but they're still below league average with the team 745 OPS. And uh, strikeouts, they're above league average, around league average for strikeouts. All right, let's see how things get better in 2008. His second year as hitting coach, right? The team has more time to buy into his philosophy now in his second year. And batting average, the Oakland Athletics dead last at 242. What about OPS? Was it a little bit better? Does it show any improvement if you look at OPS? Nope. Dead last again, 686. All right, next season, he moves on to Seattle. He becomes the bench coach in Seattle. So how'd that Seattle Mariners team do in 2009 when it comes to batting average? Again, bottom half of the league, only 258. And the bottom 10 of the league in batting average. Does OPS look any better? Nope. They're in the bottom one, two, three, four, five. They're fifth worst in the league at 716. So things do not look better 
hitting in Seattle. I know he's the bench coach, not the hitting coach. The 2010 team, now they are dead last. They're hitting 236, and they're dead last in the league in batting average. What about OPS? They're 637, dead last in the league again. All right, 2012 is not all his fault, right? He becomes the interim hitting coach in August of 2012. But how did that Houston Astros team do? Second to last in batting average at 236. And what about OPS? Well, now they're dead last at 665. So his track record as a hitting coach leading into coming to the Cleveland Indians really doesn't look great. I mean, these teams really struggled. I mean, dead last in the league, some of these teams. And if you want to know more about Ty Van Berkeley's style and approach, there's actually a pretty good article here from Let's Go Tribe in 2019. It's the curious case of Ty Van Berkeley. Now, this has a lot to do with bunting and his love of sacrifice bunting and how the Indians have adapted that style of sacrifice bunting. But there is something interesting buried way down in this article talking about Ty Van Berkeley's philosophy. And he wants guys to get out in front of pitches, get ahead in counts, and play the field aggressively. He commented on struggling hitters. He often mentioned players trying to do too much and get outside of themselves. And he loves swing paths and getting out in front of the ball. And I got to be honest, that feels like exactly what is hurting the Cleveland Indians. If you look at the way these guys are flailing at these off-speed pitches, at these change-ups, right? They're trying to get out ahead of the ball. They're trying to be too aggressive. They're trying to pull the ball, trying to be the next big home run hitter instead of sitting back, being patient, and taking the ball the opposite field, using the whole field, hitting the ball back up the middle, going for the single. I would love to see a rally. Way more than I'd love to see a home run. I would love to see a rally. It feels like we haven't had one rally all season. So uh, that's your hitting coach, right? That is your hitting coach for the Cleveland Indians. So we'll see. Are they going to just stay the course? Or will things change with their approach at the plate? Because it needs to change. Now, we had another fan comment that I want to give a shout-out to. I want to give a shout-out to Katie Long. Her fan comment, the Indians aren't doing well on the road. It's all because of Cleveland's supply of crowd noise is far superior to competitors. And the intermittent beat of John Adams drumming is the heartbeat of our tribe. So thank you, Katie, for the comment. Obviously, a little bit of sarcasm there about the crowd noise. The crowd noise is being pumped in. Do you think there's a little bit of a, of a home field advantage in baseball? It might not be the crowd noise. It might just be the stress of traveling, to be honest. In the age of coronavirus, it's got to be really stressful to be the road team and deal with hotels and the travel, the planes, the buses. So uh, maybe it's that. Maybe it's the stress of travel. And about the crowd noise, I have found it interesting some of the things they've been trying to do to create right, this experience. I think on the radio, when you're listening to the radio games, the crowd noise doesn't feel that strange because it's this nice hum that's kind of in the background that underlies their voices. And when you're watching on TV, it is a little strange because you tend to notice the inflections in the crowd noise. So basically, one person is sitting there and has control over the entire stadium's reaction to a play. They have to decide if it's going to be a small clap, a medium clap, a loud clap, a loud cheer, a small cheer, 
right? They're sitting with their finger on the button deciding the entire uh, enthusiasm of this fake crowd. Now, the thing that's really thrown me for a loop is the digital CGI fans that I think Fox has been trying to use for some of their big national broadcasts where they'll put, I mean, it looks like they took them straight out of the video game MLB The Show, which I believe that's where they get the crowd noise from, and just dropped them in, overlaid them into the stands on wide shots. And for me, I don't need it. It's weird. It's creepy, almost, to see these digital people just kind of out there. kind of They kind of like wave their heads back and forth a little bit to show that there's life out there. And it works in a video game. It does not work in real life. I'd rather just see the empty stadium. We know they're playing in an empty stadium. What do we need CGI fans for out there? So thank you, Katie. Thanks for the question. If you have comments on the game, hit me up on Twitter. Call into the Anchor app. I am here to talk about the things you want to talk about, answer your questions, because it's a show by a fan for fans. So that does it for uh, the first game of the Ohio Cup. Tomorrow, we got Shane Bieber. This is what you've been waiting for, Indians fans. You've been waiting all week to see Shane Bieber pitch again, and you're getting your chance tomorrow. It's a 6-10 start. He's going against Mahale, and we'll see if Bieber can add on to the success he's had in his first two starts and basically historic success, right? He's tied for the most strikeouts in the first two starts of the season. I really am excited to see Shane Bieber pitch tomorrow, and you can bet we're going to be talking a lot about pitching tomorrow. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cincinnati. It's the Cincinnati Reds 3, the Cleveland Indians 2. We'll be back tomorrow for that Shane Bieber pitching matchup. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show, and we'll play them back on the air. Respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>